And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. From the shimmering shores of Lake Michigan, I'm on vacation. But, hey, you know what? I like you all a lot, so I have for you a very special bonus episode. We're going to be listening to Ruby, Adventures of a Galactic Gumshoe, a groundbreaking cyberpunk radio drama as well as a long-lost interview with Tom Lopez, founder of ZBS and the writer-director of Ruby. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction, brought to you by Wondery. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. We're doing a special bonus episode today because we're featuring the work of a sister show on the Wondery Network, Ruby, Adventures of a Galactic Gumshoe. This episode that you're about to hear is the first in a long and glorious series that has gone on for more than 30 years. You may be surprised because what you're about to hear sounds like it could have been recorded last week, but it actually dates to 1982. It's a trippy, deeply weird, and smart piece of cyberpunk audio fiction and I'm so glad to be able to share it with you. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to Ruby on your favorite podcast service. You can hear all of Volume 1 on their podcast feed right now. Now, after the feature, I'm going to run an interview that Fred Greenhalge, our executive producer, recorded with Thomas Lopez, a.k.a. Meatball Fulton, a.k.a. the dude behind Ruby and other incredible pieces of audio fiction. Fred recorded this interview in 2012, but it never aired. Ooh. So, without further ado... Let's get going with this episode. Originally created for NPR, aired in 23 countries around the world, and now, at last, a member of the Wondery Network, here is part one of Ruby, Adventures of a Galactic Gumshoe. The Adventures of Ruby The crystal city glistens in the moonlight. Three of the six moons of Summa Nula are shining down, casting weird shadows in this abandoned city. Yeah, yeah, not totally abandoned. This was once an automated city. Now the rusted slidewalks no longer move. The winds blow through the broken city. What else? Whose thoughts? Slimies. Biogenetically engineered assassins out for the hunt. I can feel their mind nets sweeping the city. Okay, mind webs. Spun from cool, slimy thoughts that drift out to touch and freeze you in your tracks. So they can step up and blast you away. I move silently. I feel the mind webs searching. Sifting, trying to pick up human thoughts. In the faint light of the three half moons, I see someone moving across the square. 
Wait a second. That's... That looks like me. What the... They cut her down. Her circuits are oozing out of her stomach. She's not human. That's interesting. A Frankie that looks like me. Oh, she's still kicking. She's trying to get back up. Yeah, its scaly back is turned. I step out. I let it hear the sound of my blaster being set. It whirls and fires. I slow it down and slip aside. A beam scorches past my head. A chunk of the city flies into the sky. Slimy is surprised. It missed. It didn't know I can control time. I smile. Here's a kiss for you. My name is Ruby. I'm a galactic gumshoe. A good one. The time is the 21st century. The planet is Summa Nula, crossroads of the galaxy. And this is my story. I call it the big deal. The Slimies had blasted some Frankie. She was dressed up to look like me. On closer inspection, I discovered she didn't look like me at all. Ruby. Yeah. What's your name, kid? Angel Lips. I am a Frankie. <laughs> I noticed. Your circus is spilling out all over the street. I we'll find your body shop. Ruby. Why are you dressed like me? Ruby. Shut up and answer. Ruby. Look, kid. Answer, or I'll short-circuit your intestines. Ruby. Why? Wise. Yeah, a tentacle. Oh. Tentacle wraps around my face and neck. Drags me backwards through a slit in the wall. <laughs> Ruby? I'm looking at a thing with four tentacles, three eyes, a thin blue mustache, and wearing a red fez. I am the Tukar. Get your tacky tentacles off of me. Certainly. Oh. Hey, but, but, but please do not reach for your blaster. The Tuka is quicker than Ruby. I doubt it. <laughs> What's a ball of tentacles like you doing in a town like this? I monitor the city. Mm. They are closing in, spinning a mine net for you, Ruby. Yeah. I wonder what that Frankie did to put the slimies on my back. The Tuka is quicker than you, Ruby. Um, I know the Kapoorian hired you. Oh, <laughs> so you know that fat little rat-faced Kapoor. He has hired me to assist you. Look, tentacles, I work alone. I may be able to lend a hand. <laughs> Forget it. I have a cube. May I play it? Sure. Ruby, that's right. My name is Rodat. I'm a Kapoorian. What do you want, Rodent? Rodat, not Rodent. So what do you want? We want you to find out who is manipulating reality. Get out of here. Wait, wait, please. My people will pay handsomely. How handsomely? Most handsomely. Sit down. Uh, thank you. Someone is trying to control the mind of this planet. The media, Rudy. The media has given them the power. It is driving everyone crazy, 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 and there is no end to it. Technology will only advance their powers. We cannot evolve, mutate fast enough to cope. Something must be done before we all go mad. Mad, 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 why me? Because you serve the lords of chaos. 
I'll fix him. That was hardly necessary. A little rodent. So, the rat-faced Kaburian has hired you to find who is controlling our images of reality. You got it. May I offer you a drink and extend a friendly tentacle? Sure. The Tuca extends his friendly three-fingered tentacle. I shake it. He has a good grip. I've shaken a lot of things in my life. Hands, paws, claws, fins, antennae. But there's something creepy about a tentacle. Those little suction cups fastening onto your skin. And this Tuca's got four tentacles. So how do you know if you're shaking his hand or his foot? <laughs> this was once a fully automated city. It was built to last for several millennia. It actually functioned for about ten years. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I, uh, I left a Frankie lying out in the street. I'd like to drag her in. Ah. This is the central controls. I have repaired some. The weather is still a problem. Uh, there was once a time one could predict the weather and then create yeah, it. Yeah. Look, Spider, save the tour. I'm going to get her out of the street before she's stripped for parts. I drag her inside, pick her up, and dump her on a table. The Tuca finally helps by scooping up some of the circuitry that's oozed out of her stomach. Ooh, lovely creature. Exquisite, fine, long legs, smooth, plastic flesh. A perfect humanoid body. Mind if I roll her over and examine the other side? She's up for grabs, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> ah, well crafted. No visible seams. What are you looking for? Hmm? Her power pouch. Ah. 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 Wouldn't expect to find it there. One hides their power in strange places. I can see that. <laughs> mm. uh, we'll give her a flash charge, huh? Uh, here, clamp this onto her. Right. Uh, we'll see if she wiggles. Oh, you got a lot of zaps mm. here, Spider. Mm. Oh, don't worry. Uh, the used android market's not bad, but uh, I, I hate to see her melt it down before we cut to... Uh -huh. You're getting results. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Move it lower. I guess that's the spot. The Tuca and I charged up the Frankie. We got her ticking, but not talking. The Slimies had blasted a hole in her big enough to stand in. Should be able to plug into her memory. A little fine-tuning. My name is Angel. Angel, Angel. Ah. I am a Frankie. Ah. A class seven. seven, seven. A class seven. I was created by, Oops, by damn. the Lazarus Android work. Clips work, work. slipped. The black star, star, star. <clears throat> In my dreams, I want, 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 want. The black city, city. I can, I can, I can, I can, Hold I can. Don't move it. I cannot distinguish between my programmed dreams and reality. You're not the only one, kid. One creates the other. other. That's smart, Frankie. Every night, they take away my dream, dream. You've been watching too many commercials, kid. I know now that I was created to program myself. So they 
Who's this they she keeps talking about? The dark star, 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 the black city, city, city. I ride the slide walk, walk, walk. They spiral down and down, 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 down. She's stuck. Pick her up and slam her against the table. She has ceased. Guess that was the wrong thing to do. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I believe we can... Listen. What's that? Not only that. Another memory chip. When you consider that telepathy, telekinesis, teleportation were once considered to not even exist. Because listen to this, 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 this. Because it did not fit into any known model of physics. So how could it exist? And since no one believed it exists, even though it was right under their noses, it simply did not exist. So they did not know they could do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Listen, I know you're not going to believe this, but the stuff we call physics, 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 they used to call magic. I decided to get the Frankie out of there, but the city was crawling with slimies, biogenetically engineered assassins looking for me. Where can I get it repaired? Hmm? Uh, I highly recommend the band of renegade techies known as the Digital Circus. Hmm. Okay. So, how do I get out of here? How did you get here? Rented an air car. Well, there you go. I need a diversion. Of course. Here, we have the central weather controls for this sector of the city. It is not fully operational, still, uh... There was a time when one could predict the weather and then create it. What do you have? Perhaps a fog. Nah, fog won't stop a slimy. Yeah, yeah, they don't like lightning. Yes, I have been working on that. Make a little contact here. Turn up the game, and... Nothing. Ah, of course. Here are the bandwidth. Ah. Oh, that'll do. Just don't singe me. Oh, of course not. Oh, this is a pleasure. I heave the Frankie on my shoulder. It's night out, but that won't stop a slimy's eyes. I duck down an alleyway. Frankie ain't exactly light. Suddenly at the end of the alley, a slimy leaps out, takes aim, but too late for him. I slow time. Let him have it. The air car is hidden on a rooftop. I climb the steps of an abandoned building. They're hot on my heels now. Catch my breath and wait. Hey, sucker! Suck on this! Ha. Up onto the roof. There's one hopping across. Tuka took that one out nicely. Singed his scales. Ooh, P.U. 
Nothing worse than burnt slimy. Ooh. Oh, there's more hopping across the rooftops. Tuka takes out another. I hop in the air car, flip on the protective shield, and blast my butt out of there. First, a quick flashback. Ha! Aim that one nicely. Bubble the scales off his back. Oh! Ugh! Nothing worse than fried slimy. Oh, P.U. I fire up my rented air car. Set a course for the digital circus and blast out of there. Mm. My name is Ruby. I'm a galactic gumshoe. A good one. The images they create, create reality, Ruby. The fat little rat-faced Kapoorian. We want to hire you to find out who is manipulating reality. They are replacing my dreams with their own. The Frankie, built and programmed for some guy's pleasure. I've never seen one like her. Andor, a young techie at the Digital Circus. What is her name? Angel Lips. Ooh, yeah. They know how to build them. Feel our plastiflesh. So real. It's warm, even. I love technology. Hmm? Yeah, they used to have inflatable dolls. Now they got this. I heard. Andor here is one of the best. He'll fix you, kid. Oh, where am I? The digital circus. Be gentle, Andor. I'll be gentle. Angel lips. <laughs> Don't cry. It's all right. The Frankie that can pump out hot tears. Nice. The digital circus is on an endless pilgrimage across the planet, from one great component dump to another. They scrounge for parts, build bizarre devices. They bring their wizardry to the villages and towns, set up their inflatable domes, and perform their electronic circus. What they're really up to. <laughs> I got a few ideas, though. Ruby? Yeah? I found something. I return to Andor's mobile. The Frankie's lying there, stripped bare. Hmm. She sure looks human. Andor has eyes for her. I found who had her built. Here. TJ. What's that? There's more. Teru. TJ Teru? The archaeologist. Hmm. Apparently, she's his custom-made model. Isn't she beautiful? Yeah. I was as big a sucker as Andor. If I could have seen the future, I would have cut her up and sold her for parts. The Digital Circus is setting up their inflatables for a performance tonight. That's what I've been wondering about. Yeah. Dropouts, misfits, men, women, creatures, whose creative technical minds can't be held in check by the marketing demands of the safe regions. They move from one electronic component dump to another. They build strange robot animals. Sometimes they take on the locals who've built their own robots. They have wrestling matches or tests of intelligence. They teach the locals what they know. They pass on the information. Yeah. 
When they take on the big boys, the digital circus always loses. Yeah, on purpose. They lose, because to know your enemy is to enter into combat, gather data, and appear to be no threat by losing, then pass on the information to others. The performance begins. Classic three rings. The digital circus begins with the invocation, calling forth the blessings of their guardian spirit, Nikola Tesla. Yeah, he wanted to give free electricity to everyone. Tesla believed that energy didn't dissipate, that you can take a small amount and amplify it didn't fit the known physics of the time. It's our minds, that's the problem. The lights dim out. The crowd falls silent. Huge generators suddenly fire up. Towers take shape before our eyes. Bolts of electricity flash back and forth. Tremendous arcs of electricity crackle overhead, and there he is, Tesla himself. He's sitting there, reading a book. He's wearing soles on his shoes that look a foot thick. Bolts snap and sizzle above his head, filling the dome. He stands up, looks at the amazed audience. Free electricity for everybody. And then he goes back to his reading. Yeah. Tesla has given his blessing. You. Out there. You're the performance. I left the digital circus and headed to the nearest jump port. From there, I hopped south to bounce down on the edge of the great zebus, a jungle. I rented a slither truck and plowed further south through the tangled mess to the site of Professor T.J. Taru's We're uncovering dig. what we believe to be one of six ancient Nolian cities. One for each moon? We believe so. You know, according to the myths, there were once seven moons orbiting Sumanula. Yeah? What happened to the seventh? Well, that's why they call it a myth. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to the Nolians? much speculation as to why an entire civilization should no longer choose to exist. You figure it was their choice? Well, that's the theory. And what's your theory? They may have evolved into some higher form, you know, no bodies. And... Oh, yeah? What then, light? Sure, light. Light. Well, you know, the whole city's been buried by this devilish vegetation. It looks like a jungle of ficus diversifolia or something like that. But the sectors originally built below the surface are relatively intact. Come on in. Interesting. Yes, certainly. You know, we've finally broken their language code. Mm. You know, the language has puzzled us for a long time. The problem was the scholars took it all so seriously. It was under our noses, and we never saw it. So what? Well, they had a great sense of humor. They constantly joked about things. Possibly everything was a joke. They were masters of punmanship. Punmanship? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's hell trying to translate pun. Try one. Well, a typical Nulian story might begin... Uh, once upon a time in a galaxy Once far... Once upon a time, that's <laughs> awful. Well, it's difficult to translate, but that's my point. How old is this place? 
It was abandoned about 10,000 million years ago. Mm. You ever heard of the Black City? The Black City? Black City. No. Where did you hear of the Black City? Mm, friend of yours. Black City. Where did you hear of the Black City? Mm, friend of yours. Black City. Where did you hear of the Black City? Mm, friend of yours. Black City. Black City. I find myself below the great Zebu's jungle, down in Professor T.J. Taru's dig as they burrow about in an ancient city. There's a vast underground system here. We don't know the dimensions or how deep it may extend. But I assume you have reasons other than passing interest in archaeological digs. Yeah. Has to do with your Frankie, Angel Lips. Mm, I see. She was built for you, right? Yes. Yes, I desired a companion. She was custom-made to my specifications. You have good taste, Professor. Angel Lips is well-built. I'm aware of that. You had a program to program herself. You an android liberationist, or what? I believe this interview is over. Look, Teru... That's enough! Now, here's your hat. What's your hurry? The Slimies tried to blast out her guts. She was dressed to look like me. Now she's got the Slimies on my back. Why? I see. I see. I, I wanted someone that would, to some extent... Think for herself, not merely follow my command. <laughs> you got what you paid for. I beg your pardon. She left you. Yes, yes, but the truth of the matter is, that was in her program. She has her own destiny. You really are an android liberationist. That wasn't part of my specification. You never thought of sending her back to her maker? For a little fine-tuning. That's not unusual. She pleaded with me not to. I, uh, I, I couldn't do it. I, I mean, I, it would mean altering her personality. I... The poor sucker had fallen in love with his own creation. Angel Lips has the ability to see what you want and to be what you want. Like, I like plastic. I like the way it feels. I like. <laughs> she I like was the way built for a purpose other than just your companionship. You were set up. I'm aware of that. You just let her go. I couldn't have her dismantled. You're a soft touch, Daru. Well, someone else knew too. The programmer. Yeah, when I provided my personality data, it was obvious that. And I was the fool they'd been waiting for. Oh, God knows what she's up to. Who built her? Lazar's android works. Lazar's. Well, she has a questing mind. I taught her what she wanted to know. She wanted to know everything. Everything I know. Why? Everything I know. Why? Everything I know. Why? Well, she has a questing mind. I taught her what she wanted to know. Why? She wanted to know everything. Everything I know. Why? I don't know. 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 We're beneath the great Zebu's jungle. Professor T.J. Taru, the noted archaeologist, having dug up a good chunk of the jungle, has finally stumbled upon an ancient Sumanulian city. The Nulians had a wonderful sense of humor, Ruby. Sumanul means the high point of nothing. <laughs> Figures. They've been extinct for 10,000 years. We know that planets have an intelligence of their own. When a planet is evolving, changing, it affects everything on it. There may be other forces, Ruby... The mind creates its own model of the universe, and what we see is merely a reflection of the universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that. Say, Ruby, uh, 
What's that you're wearing? Listen. It looks like plastic tight. Real tight. Listen. I like that, you know, plastic. Listen. Plastic makes me hot. There's something in the shadows. Huh? Over there. Something in the shadows. Where? There. Don't use your blaster. The reverberations caused by that blaster will bring this city down on our heads. There it is. Oh, I just... What a set of fangs. It's not venomous. You sure? Yeah, of course I'm sure. They're known as saber-toothed snakes. Harmless species that prey upon rodents and... Uh, ah! Robots! Laser vipers! Damn, it's after you, Taru! Oh my god, there's a second one. They're out to get you, Taru! <laughs> ah, help! Help! never ask. right. See? Uh, Nothing happened. The ceiling is quite in... Mm. Huh. On second thought, you were right. Oh. It's coming down on us! Quick, Ruby, before we're buried us alive in this... Are you okay? Taru? Professor! We knocked down a wall. There's a whole other world down in there, a subterranean city. What's that? Some black furry fellows? Impressive set of claws. Nice feet, too. Could use a manicurist. A little squinty in the eye department. Nice noses. I sure can smell me. What can I say? We all sweat. I hope you guys are root eaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name's Ruby. Look, no roots. Ruby is a ZBS production. That was Ruby, Adventures of a Galactic Gumshoe. I hope you enjoyed it, dear listeners. There's more of that available on the Ruby feed. Head on over to Wondery.com and check out our sister show. And while you're clicking around there, see if anything else whets your appetite. We've got shows about movies and pop culture. We've got more audio drama in the form of The Cleansed by Fred. We've got a storytelling podcast. And we've got a crime podcast hosted by a former FBI profiler, a behavior analyst from Scotland Yard, and the casting director from Criminal Minds. Don't tell me that doesn't sound compelling. And if you get the chance, uh, if you could please do us a favor and complete the survey at wondery.com slash survey, I would really appreciate it. It just takes a couple minutes. And now, here's something I think you'll really enjoy. An interview with Tom Lopez of ZBS. Executive producer Fred traveled out to ZBS's headquarters, a farmhouse on 33 acres of land in upstate New York, and talked to Mr. Lopez in 2012. Here, in full, is their conversation. Yeah, so we're here on Fort Edward, New York, at uh, Tom the ZBS Foundation headquarters here with Tom Lopez. Uh, hey, Tom, welcome to the show. Hello. Do you just want to talk a little bit about what you know what's ha- what's happening now and kind of uh, what what stuff you're you're currently working on and, and just sort of the state of, of audio drama as as you see it from from your seat today? Boy, I wish I knew what was going on. <laughs> um... From my end of it, I'm, I'm uh, like everyone else, trying to figure out the internet, and that's what that's what we've been talking about. Like, uh, how can one possibly make a living, and and who other than porn sites are actually, you know, making uh, a few 
few and Google and so mm. on, you know, Facebook and that that sort of thing. But um, so part of that is trying to is trying to understand what this n- relatively new um, means of reaching people, since radio stations rarely play radio drama anymore. And uh, in my case, I'm working on what I think is going to be the last Ruby, and it's Ruby Nine, and that's that's enough and a good number to stop on, and uh, and in that case, I'll be releasing it as uh, you know maybe eight or ten minute uh, episodes and and there would be you know about 15 episodes and uh, and that'll be coming out sometime this summer and on the internet and maybe one or two radio stations and some some internet stations of course but uh, on the one hand it's great to see that there's a lot of young people out there now doing radio drama, and some of them are really quite good, and some are st- they're still trying to do like radio drama that was done in the 1940s, and uh, and it's very strange. We were talking about this that I don't understand. Like you don't find filmmakers trying to do films the way they did, even though they did some wonderful things in the 1940s. Um, the technology has moved on, and it's interesting that some people's minds, they still want to reproduce the mm-hmm. way, you know, the old things were done. And even, uh, you know, some some of the, like Orson Welles and so on, he would never, had he been around, yeah, still, doing, still be doing it. He, would, he, never, he would never be doing what he did back then. He would yeah. be out there... Trying everything else, yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, so I guess there's certain people that that just kind of like to push the edge, mm-hmm. and others, uh, they they play it within the the known perimeters, mm-hmm. and that's fair enough too if they're doing like good work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so let's talk about Ruby since you you bring up Ruby Nine. Um, this is going to be fit in, you know, as we've been doing this series featuring Ruby Five. Um, why are why are there going to be nine rubies? <laughs> because because that's how many I've done. I keep I started off with ruby, and then I said, okay, um, maybe I could uh, put in another grant. And back then, you could get grants now and then, uh, you know. And I'll, I'd call it ruby two. I didn't know what to call it. And mm-hmm. Then then there was ruby three and four and five and six. And so um, so why a nine? I think it's because I don't know what else to do. And I did do a fundraiser telling people that I was going to do this, and so mm-hmm. I feel obligated that having taken people's money, uh, even though it won't be nearly enough, mm-hmm. I'm, I may be able to take some more once it comes out. And, yeah. uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's always something that fascinated me, is, is that people that like your work, that you can do a fundraiser and say, especially if you have a not-for-profit organization, I tend to think it's a little bit easier. Not that hardly anyone is writing it off on their taxes, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you can say, look, you know, I'd like to do this, and then people give you money, and then you do it, and then you sell it to them. Mm-hmm. You know, which is which yeah. is strange, but but it's okay because people are used to supporting public television, yeah. public radio, and that that kind of thing, and they see and they understand how it works. It, it isn't like. Um, 
it's just not the same as the normal commercial. Yeah. Well, you know? and we were chatting, you know, we've been talking to uh, the, you and I about a bit, uh, how the internet, you know, sort of the, the big buzzword is crowdsourcing and Kickstarter and, you know, fundraising directly to listeners, which in some ways seems to be what you've been doing all along. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was funny because I was thinking about Kickstarter and, uh, and, and, and the, the crowdsourcing idea and, and realizing that's, when we started doing fundraisers way back and, mm-hmm. uh, and I learned that you could write uh, fundraising letters that were really very funny. Yeah. And, 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 and because they were totally wacko, mm-hmm. but the people knew our work. I mean, that's yeah. what we, it was, wasn't going to rant. You know, it was only going to people that already had requested our catalog or yeah. something like that. And, so they knew you were kind of a nutcase to begin with, and so so receiving a a, a letter that that's humorous, uh, this this touched them in a way that you know that they would actually read it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just tossing it. Yeah, I mean, and now it's a you know now that stuff is fairly common, you know, where 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 people are directly reaching out to their fans, but they're uh, there's still something I think special. Like if you were to, to today write a fundraising letter, there would be something unique to it because it was a letter. Like you know, and, exactly. You know, yeah. Twenty years ago, that may have been the only way, but now because people are so saturated with digital communications, right. the irony is that um, the written word might still have something there. Yeah, to get something that can hold. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and so, I mean, it's, it's interesting about Ruby. I mean, the you know the two big series, you know, Jack Flanders and Ruby, are you know they're both zany in their own ways, yet they are very, very, very different things. And and people, like I for one, just with my love of field recording, am fascinated by the soundscapes of Jack Flanders and the exotic landscapes. Yet Ruby, you know, Ruby is a very different series. You know mm-hmm. and that you know because it's this larger than life science fiction kind of world. And I guess you talk a little bit about you know picking you know putting yourself in those different worlds, like what. You know, what is it that you find fun about working on a new Ruby compared to a, a Jack Flanders series in terms of the sound and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's because it's so different. Uh, it's, it's it's like, okay, I've done, you know, because most of these things are, uh, you know, things like the fourth job of Inverness that, that was six and a half hours and, and Moon of Morocco's 10 hours. And uh, when you finish... It's like okay, I don't want to do any more. Of the, I need to do something different. Yeah. Uh, likewise, Ruby uh, Ruby three is like ten hours, I think, and and Ruby four is like eight hours, and and then let's do some Jack Flanders. You know? Yeah. I need something totally different, and yeah. and and they are two different spaces as, as far as I'm concerned, and and one. With Flanders, it was going around to different countries and gathering mm-hmm. ambience and then seeing what I have and then writing a story so that I could use these different uh, soundscapes that, mm-hmm. that, that I'd recorded and, and, and write scenes that took place in, in mm-hmm. the, the, these different locations. Uh, and, um, and with Ruby, it's the locations are really quite secondary. Yeah. That, that, Tim Clark, who does the music, he really creates the, mm. the feeling with with his kind of nonstop music is what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, and you know another thing that I think is uh, somewhat uh, ahead of the times is is like the the short format segments. You know, like today people be like, "Well, that's podcasting." The way that you would have you know the little chunks, uh, you know, mm-hmm. 
of the of the dramas that ended up being it was a ten hour program, yes, and and you can buy it if you download it today. You're going to hear it as a ten hour program, but that was not how people most people originally heard it. Yeah, no, they, with with uh, the fourth tower, it was like uh, seven minute episodes, and then on um, on the weekend that then you got to hear the full half hour, mm-hmm. and uh, likewise, Moon of Morocco was like twelve minute episodes, and and. Then they were put together into one hours for stations that mm-hmm. didn't want the dailies. They, they were day, these are daily episodes, and yeah. and Ruby was three minutes a day, mm-hmm. and and only by chance, there were certain stations, uh, KCRW in mm-hmm. in Santa Monica. Okay, it was a great station to be on, but they didn't they wouldn't take a daily. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh okay, and I never thought of Ruby as being anything but a daily three minute episode. So then I decided, okay, well, I'll put it together into half hours for them. Mm-hmm. But the music, every episode starts with a recap. Okay? Yeah. Now, which Ruby, being a detective, it, you know, the genre is that it's usually a voiceover mm-hmm. situation where the detective sets the scene. Mm-hmm. And 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 when I was writing it, I said, okay, you know, like, how am I going to do a recap of something that's that's going on for 13 weeks, right? I mean, how, yeah. and then I realized, and and also, too, Ruby was put together with talking to uh, the audience research people, or his name was Tom Church at the time, at uh, NPR. Hmm. And I said, okay, I want to do this series, and, and uh, I'm thinking of something of like five-minute daily, and he says, no, no, too long. You know, it's maybe it's too more long, like, more like two minutes or something like that, you know, yeah. two, or three minutes or so. And I said, okay, well, all right. And and I said, um, but it's going to be continuing stories. Oh no, no, two strikes against you. He said, he said people are only going to be listening, catching an episode now and then. Mm-hmm. I said, well, okay, what if I have a little recap at the beginning, yeah. so that you wouldn't have to have heard, you mm-hmm. know, so it sets the scene up. And uh, and he said, okay, that's 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 good. And uh, he says, when are, you, when are you going to air it? And I, I said, no, what do you suggest? And he said, drive time. People going to and coming from work. And that's what we call the drive time radio drama. And that's actually when stations played it. And some, you know, some, both go morning and and, and afternoon. But, um, but what was interesting that happened, and I realized that all I had to do was, in terms of recap, it didn't matter anything else that had happened before. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't matter. All you needed was what, was to set you up so you would understand what you're about to hear. Right. Not what happened. You don't have to do a recap. Just says, okay, this is this is where I am, and and so that you could say, okay, here wait wait, and then the things that would happen. You know, if there was a reference to a character, an ongoing char- character other than Ruby, you know, you would uh, you you would set that up, and so the recap was one or two sentences at the most. Well, what happened was when it was put to, together at half hours because the music had, was already <laughs> mixed into it. I could not cut the recaps out. So every three minutes it recaps. Okay, now yeah. now you would think <laughs> you would think that this would be a problem, but no, because the genre is that that the, uh, with, the, with the detective keeps... sets always steps in and sets things up. I mean, that's the way it is in, with often with film mm-hmm. and certainly in the tradition of radio detective stories, you know, the, the mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. So, so what, but what, one of the most positive things that, that I never could have anticipated 
was it was the most popular thing we'd ever done. And the reason is the, the problem with radio drama is, you know, half hour, mm -hmm. one hour programs, whatever, is no one tunes in at the beginning. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about radio now, not, yeah. not Internet. OK, yeah. and you just you would just catch it. So the problem with radio drama always suffered from was that somebody, you know, came across it, sounded Midway interesting, you started listening, but it was really hard to know what was going on. So if so, unless you really kind of like the form, you would then listen for a couple of minutes and then, you know, tune into a different station. Well, with Ruby, every three minutes told you where you were. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just by chance we were recapping the thing. Yeah. So you could so if you so if you could last the three minutes or one minute or some whatever it was until until the next recap happened. You get caught back up. Yeah. And you could be boom right there. And yeah. it wasn't like you had to figure out, okay, what has happened because you know, when you're doing a normal half hour story, you can't just keep stepping in an hour here, an hour here, but there yeah. you could. Yeah, yeah no, and that's and that's something uh, you know something about the pacing it, it it works. And so, I mean, when coming up with this story, you know, the the concept of Ruby, you know, uh, you, I, I can tell you you have a love of like film noir and detective stories and that sort of thing. Like how, how you know. How much is Ruby your classic detective, and how much was you just trying to take that and kind of like the the format and then do something totally wacky with it? It's really the latter, yeah. Yeah, you do, do something to, totally mi wacky. to mix it up. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I have a great fondness for, uh, you know, I, I remember as a kid uh, hearing these these radio detective mm -hmm. stories, and uh, uh, and I, I like the I, I like the form, but. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm very limited in terms of as a writer since since I write my own stuff uh, as to what I can what I can actually do and also too it's like um, I I just I don't have an interest in doing a lot of things mm -hmm. even even if I could do them I still <laughs> I, I still I don't want to do traditional detective stories even mm -hmm. though I have a great admiration for people mm -hmm. that can do it and do it competently. I, w I really want to explore. I mm -hmm. want to know, okay, what else can you do? And yeah. once you've done it, then, okay, I've done that. Now what else can I do? You know, it's mm -hmm. like, and you, you do this too in your own work. You're constantly pushing the edge and try, trying different things and seeing, okay, let's let's try this. What about this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that's fun about the radio drama format is that you can just as easily have Ruby traversing the land of Zooks as you can have a detective in San Francisco in the forties. So right, yeah. as much as I love, you know, San Francisco in the forties, why not go and travel to that alternate planet? Because you can do it just as easily. Um, or you can have Jack Flanders, you know, get tranced out and then end up in an alternate <laughs> universe right, trying right. to work his way out. I mean, that's, what's really fun. Yeah. There's something about all these, uh, uh, other dimensions that mm -hmm. have always fascinated me. I, yeah. for a kid, I, I don't know. I suppose if I thought about it, I would, probably find some source of maybe hearing X minus one as a mm. kid or, or, or something like this that I, I, I don't know where it comes from or maybe being brought up on a farm and, and where you're plowing fields and working fields and you're out there for hours just going back and forth back and forth on the tractor you know trying to stay awake and so, so you daydream a lot and yeah. that's sort of and daydreaming is like writing I mean it's a very very similar kind of things that, that are happening and uh and your, you know, your mind just sort of starts telling itself mm -hmm. stories just to amuse yourself. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and and then you eventually start telling them the other people to use them too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's so fun. So it's, I mean, is it? Uh, how does it feel to be coming back to Ruby? I mean, you've done some other stuff. You did the the steampunk Jack Flanders stuff, as well as the Lady Windermere things. Um, you did the two minute film noir, the two minute horror stuff, and so it's been a little while since a, a Ruby production. Right? It has been. Yeah, I, it's. Um... It's got it's got a little steampunk in it. Yeah. Uh, it's got a little, little Lady Windermere in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what it is is uh, since Lady Windermere was was the same actors that I use in Ruby, mm-hmm. only they were doing you know these sort of fake in, in, English yeah. accents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> till till some of them fairly competently and some not so competently. But that's part of my writing. Part of the, yeah, it's part it's of the a, joke. You know, yeah. and. Uh, uh, but so in this case, they they switch back and forth. They're mm-hmm. actually on a on a moon mm-hmm. that is a kind of futuristic retro uh, uh, steampunk Victorian, mm-hmm. you know, uh, moon mm-hmm. a society that's been set up, and so they have to go incognito. But they're Ruby and Teru and Kapoor and so on. Yeah. And the only one that doesn't go incognito because because the guy who's doing the techie is called his name's Andor, which is really based on. Bob Belecki, who built the studio there, and, <laughs> and and it was through Bobby that I learned about Tesla, and you know Tesla right. has now become, and you know this is when Ruby came out of nineteen eighty one or something, and there's and Tesla is like part of it, yeah, <laughs> and it's really an homage to Tesla. That's the digital circus was yeah. they they paid homage to uh, Tesla. So they they do some of the Lady Windermere and they switch mm-hmm. back and forth between their normal and also pretending to be. Uh, the, these other people and yeah. uh, and it's like old friends uh, mm-hmm. it, it's very I like the idea of once you've once you have characters that that you know about mm-hmm. they kind of are living in you and you you, you you're using the same actors and mm-hmm. you know other other actors too but, but for the main characters so you can hear their voices yeah. so yeah. it makes writing so much easier and uh, and it's kind of like a big party that's getting together. I mean, the first Ruby was, I guess, about eighty one. So you know, yeah, we've been doing it, keeping uh, it going. But it's it's uh, I I think it'll be fun, but it's exhausting too. Exhausting yeah. in the sense of uh, getting all these cats mm-hmm. together at one time. Yeah, and, and, and hope hoping that everybody really shows up on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the the hardest part I, I've experienced. Yeah, and and it and it is fun. Uh, you know, many other places people think you're nuts if you hear voices in your head, but with ra- writing radio drama, that's the best way yeah, to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about I mean, your place here Thomas. There's a, a lot of history. You took me on a little tour of your studio and uh, you know, you've been producing radio drama here for a lot of years years starting with the, the Fourth Tower of Inverness. And, uh, I mean, just, you know, there are a couple other interviews out there where you, t- you know, talking about the genesis of CBS, but um, I, th- I think it'd be fun if, you know, how how does it happen that you have this really nice, you know, voiceover studio out here in upstate New York? Um, we were lucky enough to find somebody, that, someone that had an inheritance, and he was a journalist in New Orleans, and he, and we had... We were originally going to set up in New Orleans a studio. We'd met someone who who had an inheritance, mm-hmm. but not nearly enough. And but he couldn't get his life together. And so, uh, so the other guy came along. We were able to lay it all out. Okay, mm-hmm. here's the cost. Here, here's blah blah. And in that in that case, uh, 
since a bunch of the people were mm-hmm. like from Westchester area, and they decided, and then several of us were now working in Montreal, mm-hmm. said, okay, let's find a place that's midway, because we'll do business with both, both places, mm-hmm. New York City and Montreal. Well, once we left the station, we never did anything more with Montreal. Montreal. And we found ourselves three and a half hours you know, yeah. nor- north of New York City. And meanwhile, also also within a, or in our, uh, on the Hudson River, but we were on the uh, eastern side of the river, which happens to be Washington County, which is a dairy county. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we started off with the idea of, with, which out, without going into the detail of it, but of doing a... You know, we started with ZBS Media, mm-hmm. which was a, a commercial, supposedly mm-hmm. money making, and realizing we're going to make money. So let's let's create a not for profit, mm-hmm. and no one knew what to call it. So we ended up with ZBS Foundation, and then yeah. we found out about it some months later that foundations are often endowed and so on. <laughs> you know, which we were, which yeah. we weren't. But but anyway, it was we've we're stuck with the name, so we stayed yeah. with it. Uh, and uh, but luckily, because we were on the other side of the river in mm-hmm. Saratoga County, and Saratoga County it has gotten arts funding because it's more artsy. Mm-hmm. And the New York State Council and the Arts, we went to them trying to get a grant for a radio project, but they weren't interested in radio. But they came up and they checked us out and they said, uh, "This is a great location, you know." And and how would you like to do an artist in residency program? Mm-hmm. And that that would mean uh, bringing artists up from uh, you know from New York mm-hmm. and spending a week up here. And back then, when we first started, which was about seventy three or four, I'm not quite sure, uh, seventy three, I guess. That that the uh, they didn't really care if the artists did anything. They, yeah. they they could hang out for for a week if they wanted to, and uh, and it was. Um, it was, and it funded us for, I think, that project, or you know, for about eight years or so. Yeah. And then later we were able to uh, get the National Endowment mm-hmm. interested. So then we were able to get ours from uh, uh, from various parts of the country. And Ellen Ginsberg was up here for a week. Wow. He was great to sit down and chat with. I'll tell you. And uh, Peter Olavsky, and they were they were, they did a record, and and Laurie Anderson did does those Superman. Uh, and a lot of other things, performance artists. She was up here a number of times, and she left with Bobby, yeah. my engineer, and that's how I got to <laughs> learn, learn how to engineer, thanks to Laurie, you know, because I didn't have an engineer. Uh, and uh, Phil Glass worked on Einstein on the Beach, and on and on and on. All, like a lot of artists over the years, and they were, they were interesting to because they would live live with us for, you yeah. know, then later we started doing shorter projects, mm-hmm. that is week-long projects, mm-hmm. as well as sometimes three-day or mm-hmm. four-day, depending on it was something so various uh, video artists a lot of mm-hmm. video artists were up here somebody by the name of Bill, Bill Viola who does really good work uh, and and different filmmakers you know independent filmmakers uh, it was all experimental sound we didn't do any straight sound at all yeah. uh, doing ambiences and record uh, music or not music but strange sounds for dancers mm-hmm. and uh, you know just lots of and a few radio projects too actually were in there too yeah. So it, uh, it it was a nice distraction, and it, it also provided an income. And, and then eventually, starting in like the very late 70s, early 80s, 
started to get some radio yeah. grants. Yeah. And, but in, and but in somewhere in there, there's a commune here too, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Starting in 1970, we started about 18 people. And yeah. after about the first year or so, we, I don't know, yeah, something like that. Then we were down to maybe about a dozen. Yeah. And that pretty pretty stable. And then it would, then it dropped down to about eight people or yeah. so for the last few years. Yeah. I mean, and were they artists, the, the uh, people here? Well, no, they would... Let's see, two people were lawyers, three three graduated from the Wharton School of Business. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, there was there, oh, there was another person who was DJ in, in New York or in New Orleans, mm-hmm. Richard. So it was, it was so a mixed, it was a, it was a mixed yeah. group. Yeah, it was yeah. it was very mixed. Yeah. yeah, and then with also these artists popping in from time to time to work on a, yeah. a thing for a week or, or yeah, something. and and various people people would just come by or sometimes somebody would meet somebody interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and invite him up, and, and yeah. so this guy Murray Head, who's an actor from, he he did the original single for Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. Also did uh, a great movie with Glenda Jackson and Peter Finch called Sunday Bloody Sunday. And right after that, Max, who's part of ZBS, mm-hmm. uh, uh, met Murray. Said, Murray, Murray, come on up. And so Murray arrived right when I need well, right when I was doing the Fourth Tower of Inverness, and I needed. Lord Jowls. And, <laughs> okay, and, yeah. and, and so I said, Murray, will you do Lord? Okay. You know? Yeah. And so, so Murray did, uh, you know, and he did a great Lord Jowls because he's English. And so he, yeah. so he would toss in these little English little expressions. Little isms. That, yeah, even yeah. though I've lived in London for a couple of years, I, I would never <laughs> think of these these wonderful yeah. little expressions that they have. And know? so, yeah, and so, I mean, so I don't have my dates straight. So when when did Fourth Tower emerge? 72. 72. So yeah. that was, it's quite towards the beginning here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we started in 1970, so. Yeah. So I, uh, I had, when I worked at the radio station in Montreal, mm-hmm. I had, um, I started writing it, and mm-hmm. I was writing it for the people at the station, mm-hmm. and because uh, it's a very hip station, we used to play Ram Dass, and mm-hmm. I, I, I did a show, and I do a four o'clock raga, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and uh, and it was like it, this, uh, the station which is now called CHOM mm-hmm. stands for Ohm, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. uh, and Canada, of course, is Canada, C, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, so. Uh, it, the station manager allowed us to do whatever he wanted because we were just mm-hmm. figuring it was the only rock station in the. But mm-hmm. you could, I used to play hour-long interviews, you know, with, yeah. with Frank Zappa, so with all his cuss words and everything. And, and I, I remember that someone from the, um, oh God, I, can't, I keep thinking it's the mounted police, but it's close to that. They're they're equivalent to the FCC. I can't remember what it's oh, called okay. in Canada, and they're. Contacting me because they got a complaint, you know, it's like in the <laughs> afternoon, and I played the Zappa with <laughs> yeah. all these various cuss words in it. Yeah, and uh, and they said blah blah blah, and I said yes, I did. Uh, oh, why was that? And I said, well, because that's there was nothing really offensive, it was, you know, and that's the way he, he talks. You know, it was the interview. He said, oh, all right, well, thank you. And that was <laughs> it. I mean, it was like. And, and yeah, they, they now had, they're so politically they correct. They had Cheech yeah. and Chong on one night. This the same station, only this was like you know maybe one in the morning or so. Just cussing a blue streak. I mean everything you could think of. I, I, I mean I was listening and I say, 
God, isn't Canada great? <laughs> and, and the thing is, we would sometimes, uh, you know, like like two or three in the morning, finishing mm-hmm. a show and, and whatever, and a bunch of us would like go out and there was a park near, mm-hmm. you know, only a block away. You know, good, good sized park, we'd be sitting out there and talking and so on and say, can you imagine, in, this is like 1970, okay, mm-hmm. 1969, whatever, and, and they said, can you imagine doing this uh, in, during the summertime in any American city, in the middle of the city, at 3 o'clock in the morning in your city, and you feel perfectly safe? Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that's how, absolutely loved Montreal. The only thing was, what was funny at the time was that I went to mail a letter, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find a post office box you know like uh, yeah. but i could see on the corner where there used to be a box and well they were because you were dealing with the the french separatists at the time and and they would put, put bombs into them <laughs> and, and uh, so that so even the post office you had to be there at the hours you couldn't even put anything through the slot oh, you know wow. and and you know, even then you felt, except that one night in the middle of the night, I don't know, like about two in the morning or something, I heard an explosion and they blew up a good part of an office building, wow. which was only like half a block away. Honestly, I rose about a foot and a half off the bed. I just shot up in the air. Whoa! You know? And But even then you felt perfectly safe. Yeah. It was like a great place to live. I mean, it's in some ways such a remarkable era. And, I, you know, and, and now I see us in this digital environment and there's there is something that you're you know we were seeing in your studio earlier and seeing like the big you know metal equipment and the right. stuff with the really nice knobs and you know just store you know working with multi-track for the first time and and really having to be quite innovative about how you how you went about recording and i, I think which i think is a, a point that's you know worth really appreciating now and, and how easy it is to have a 64 tracks in in pro tools but there is there is something about tape and there is something about uh, just kind of, you know, the, the kind of the era that has preceded this era in terms of, of what creative opportunity started emerging, you know, with the stuff that was really quite remarkable at the time and, and has sort of led to the way to, to what we have now. And it must be fun to have experienced that, you know, and to be able to do stuff with, you know, you know four-track was, recorders. And, in some ways... It was more innovative, I, th- I think, and I'm not saying I'm not calling for the old days because I really like digital. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and I really like working with with automation and so yeah. on. Is, life is so much easier. Mm-hmm. But but in other ways, you, you people were constantly trying different things mm-hmm. and to see, you know, it's just it's just like some of the early music. You listen to early Beatles, where mm-hmm. the stereo, the voices are on one side and the music's on the other side. Of yeah. And, you know, these things as they, or as they learn to work with multi-track yeah. and what, what you could possibly do. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was, it was fun and, and uh, very creative. Uh, some people that, you know, Technicians and recording engineers would uh, were, were so open to oh let's try this let's try mm-hmm. that and yeah. and, see, and so the the possibilities we were talking about this earlier not mm-hmm. on, on the interview though that the possibilities of of stumbling upon because right. usually my best ideas have come by accidents mm-hmm. you know or sometimes it comes when something does not work yeah. at all. Like, uh, I mean, an example that's getting off to the side, we'll try to get back. But when I when I did Ruby, 65 three-minute daily episodes, and I recorded, uh, I had uh, 
there was a particular actor that I'd never worked with. Well, most all of them I hadn't worked with before, and and I did not like the way some of the scenes came out. And but the way I wrote it was Monday started slow, and then it would end up with kind of a cliffhanger on Friday, mm -hmm. and so it wasn't like I could. When I wanted to throw out some of these episodes that we had done, I couldn't easily do it because it would shift everything, and mm -hmm. you know and that wasn't the way. And and so, and and I had you know we I was writing and recording at the same time, meaning I'd probably written a few weeks of it mm -hmm. and so on. Came back and I said, well, I've got to put something in there that has nothing to do with the story. That's uh. where the Android sisters <laughs> came in. Into yeah, being. They sort of, yeah, yeah they, they were filler. <laughs> and I could yeah. drop them in wherever or whenever an episode mm -hmm. wasn't working and I had to throw something out. Mm -hmm. So so that was in the early days or earlier days of, of analog. It was mm -hmm. uh it was fun because often to get multitrack you had to have a number of machines all rolling at the same time and sometimes you know they were synced up but not but not by any sync pulse just mm. simply by your having a right start here. point yeah. and you going around and starting all as many machines as you could at the same time and and uh, and sometimes things things would happen and you go Oh my God! Looks looks isn't that great? You know? Yeah. Well, you're you're telling me the the blues pirates earlier. I think it, that that would be fun. To... Well, yeah, I was in New Orleans and and gathering sounds and 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 sometimes uh, you know you come across street musicians and and I record them secretively, okay, yeah. uh, but never know if you you know if if it's anything you're ever going to use. And uh, and in this case, I, I don't know that I ever did. I may have, I may have used it for something, but but I put it. It was in Pro Tools, and I and I just tossed it down in in a file that mm -hmm. you know just to have it. And it was it was a couple of uh, well three guys I guess one harmonica and, and a uh, couple of guitarists. Anyway, great blues old guys. You mm -hmm. know these these guys are good. And they were just out in the street, and I was just standing there and we. we Recorded one song of theirs, uh, and and I had had in that same file for some reason um, these pirates that had been recorded some time ago, and you know it's it's like all they were doing was going har, you know har har, <laughs> you know this kind of thing. It was a bunch of bunch of guys in the studio doing yeah. this, uh, uh, doing my pirate chorus or something. <laughs> And so I'm listening. So I sat down. And I decided, you know, I, I can. This is this is a this is a surprisingly good recording. Little EQ, and uh, it'll it'll really be a nice piece. And I'm listening, and then I'm hearing, you know, this blues guy playing, you know, and then I'm hearing har, you know, I said, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember this, and then I'm hearing har har, and then I realized that I had on another track. And only upon occasion, you would these pirates would come in, and it sounded like they were playing in a pirate bar. You know, one of the blues guys, say, oh yeah, play it. You know, and they are. <laughs> I, I I hear like a great YouTube video in the making here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and so that's I mean that's what's uh, so like for for your work. I mean, you know, how much was was. Uh, you know, experimenting with like the, the the concept of stereo versus like the concept of story. You know, how much was to experiment to experiment, and how much was 
I'm really captivated by this character and I'm going to keep exploring this kind of story world. You know, when we started like 1970, Serial was, a, uh, except maybe for interviews and this sort of thing, mm -hmm. was pretty much established. I mean, mm -hmm. they weren't doing left and right channel, you know, mm -hmm. like the Beatles or something. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that part of it was... Uh, but, but what happened in, after I did The Fourth Tower and I had been, when I was living in London... I hopped down to Tangier to do an interview with the uh, writer Paul Bowles. Mm -hmm. And when I was there, um, and I, we did an interview, those mono, you mm -hmm. know, uh, ha had a Ewer recorder, German made recorder, a wonderful little recorder. Uh, and we were wandering about, you mm -hmm. know, the, the Medina and then uh, on the outskirts of Tangier and just talking and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and and you know interviewing it all mm -hmm. all the same time, uh, but I, I realized I, um, a lot of great sounds in Tangier, quite mm -hmm. quite exotic, and 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 that's why it occurred to me later. I said, why don't I'd love to do a uh, a story set mm -hmm. in Morocco, and so the idea was to go back to Morocco, which I did in mm -hmm. in uh, in seventy three, and. And just gather sounds. And while mm. I was there, if I, you know, you hear the call to prayer, you, mm. you go to visit someone uh, that that Bowles knew, and she had she had a a, a villa where you know it had, it was set off the street, and they all have walls around them, and it had some caged birds and a fountain, you know, and this sort of thing. And I said, ah, oh, this will be the, for the countess. You cool. Know? And then because Bowles had told me it was mm. about a countess that lived in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from I don't know where she was from originally, but but lived in Morocco, and you had all these expatriates. He told me about because mm -hmm. Bowles was Bowles and his wife Jane Bowles, who's also a very good writer. Uh, they they were like out of that nineteen twenties. They knew he the knew Gertrude. He, he's yeah. a stay with Gertrude Stein. He knew all these people, right? And uh, that and I always had a real romance as you could mm. see Woody Allen wonderful film is uh, Midnight in Paris mm. and he, you could see Woody Allen too had this so romantic mm. period of, of that those uh, 20s and 30s in, in uh, uh, particularly in Paris and, mm. and of course there, though not in this case but there was Berlin too mm. in, in the uh, earlier 30s before you know Hitler came it was a great period creative period mm. of time but uh what what happened was as I would I started to put together a story mm -hmm. as I was traveling around in a notebook and uh, and saying oh this sound would work mm -hmm. th this sort and spending a lot of time later also two bowls had done a series of recordings of music Moroccan music mm -hmm. for the Library of Congress and there was which they they put an album out uh, but he also had. Uh, a lot of recordings that were never used and there are things that you couldn't get anymore because oh. now it's like now they have amplified sound so right. so you go to these these various uh, get togethers and there's a group playing there and a group playing there but there but there's speakers and so bleeding, it's bleeding yeah. over into the other oh. and but he had he had a like one of these hand crank up uh you recorders that, that he could take it into the caves and in the Grand Atlas Mountains and recording groups, and so he had some great music. And also, too, I recorded off the radio. I put a couple huh. of clips on a speaker in the radio, and uh, and I gathered music from the radio. And so there's like all this wonderful Moroccan music 
then and I would write scenes just to either be set right mm-hmm. within the, within that particular music, like the trance music and mm-hmm. so on, or scenes where they're playing in the background. You know? Yeah, no, so I, I could feature I could feature throughout this ten hour story uh, this musical and the best though I had also done some music mm-hmm. but it was mainly uh, snake charmers and that sort of thing but but the best music was the stuff that yeah I was, just, I was going to add that, yeah. that that moment before Jack starts going off into the alternate dimension in, in Morocco just has that really wonderful kind of ongoing trance music yeah. drumming thing which is just amazing um, and so I mean so did people think this was kind of crazy to be to go through all the trouble of going to Morocco to record sound, or no, did, they, did did people get get you know, find what was cool about that? Yeah, they, I think I it? think they well they had the people that because it was Jack Flanders they wanted more of this this crazy spiritual Indian yeah. stuff, and so yeah. there were those people that felt oh this was something different, yeah. and they weren't too happy. But then later it turned out that. That became even more popular than mm-hmm. than uh, original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, but still, even with all that, there's still the story has to be, you know. Yeah. Your script is is by far the most important part because yeah. because even you know even with actors that are like okay, if they have a good script, they'll rise to the occasion. And mm-hmm. but but even actors that are really good, if the script isn't. It's you know yeah, yeah. it's it's tough. Yeah. So, you, so I, sometimes you just got to go ahead and do it, and the script isn't really as baked as it should be. And I've been stuck in that situation where spending hours in the studio trying to make something work that should have should yeah. never have come into existence. <laughs> but you had to use it, and how yeah. am I going to? Some sometimes the challenge can you know mm-hmm. bring out simply because something does not work mm-hmm. that it stimulates you. Out of sheer des- panic and desperation, <laughs> to, <make something. laughs> to to come up with something that you would never ever, you know, because yeah. we're generally lazy bastards, and and you know that that we would ever actually try something like this, and yeah. they say, "Oh my God, I think or, it's going to save it. I yeah. think it's going to save it." You know, that's often the working with Tim, the composer I've worked with for years. It's like I'll often say, "Tim." Help me with this because it's not working, you know. Yeah, and, and, and he'll, he'll say something. So start I saved your ass, you know. He'll <laughs> say, <laughs> and sure enough, he will have. Yeah. He'll come up with music that makes something. Yeah. Um, that that was an interesting thing because Ruby was. I used the format, the same length essentially of mm-hmm. music, which was like about three minutes, popular yeah. songs, and uh, and I wanted it to be. So that the music was as important a part mm-hmm. as the words, and uh, and so it was. Uh, I realized that m- most of the time, I don't, I don't know the way it is now, but it used to be that that if you had radio drama, music was kind of background, so on. Yeah. That you had solid talk. And but I, I found out with Ruby to let it breathe, mm. so that the music is like as important as another character, you yeah. know. And it was it was working differently, like, yeah. and it it helped, you know. Yeah. Well, let, let me talk about your relationship with Tim Clark because yeah. I think that is a, a huge texture of the of the ZBS stories that, that people find memorable. And I and I recall he said he he did music for like an astronomy lab or, or yeah, something like that yeah the uh McLaughlin planetarium in in Toronto and he would compose essentially space music for yeah. uh, 
for their planetarium shows. And so he had all this music and uh, he had been here as an artist in residence because somebody met him, liked him, invited him here as part of that group. And that's how I got to know him. And, and later he said, you know, if you want some music. And so mm. I, when I did Stars and stuff, I uh, I started, you know, using some of his music and listening to the music. And then I would write something that would go with the music. And, mm -hmm. and then later when I did Ruby, uh, I was trying to work with a rock group and that did not work out at all. And and Tim and I were, he he was visiting and and I played him something. He says, "Oh God, this is awful," you know. He said, "But, but then he just grabs something off the shelf, which was Herbie Hancock, and he said, "Here, listen, listen to this." He says, "See, it works." Mm -hmm. He says, no, "You don't need anything like that." He says, "You can use just about anything." But uh, and so so I said, "What if we did something together? You know, work together." And uh, so that's how you know that's how we started. But yeah, so, and, and so that's been what almost thirty years, even or more than thirty years, been working together. Yeah, right? yeah. We started in. Uh, I mean, I started using music and his music in the seventies, but I guess it was about eighty-one when yeah. when we did Ruby, and, and that's when he started. Yeah. You know, uh, doing music directly, and uh, and I learned how to. I mean, essentially, with with Ruby, it was like there were three-minute episodes, and Tim. First thing Tim said, uh, you know, and in, in our working together with the music, he says, where's the breaks? Mm -hmm. And I said, the what? And he says, well, you can't, the music's got to change. I said, oh, uh, okay. Uh, you know, and I said, well, well, we could hear and hear and hear. So then I learned to write that every minute there would be a, either a shift in the yeah. scene or a scene change or something, and that would give a reason for the music to hmm. change. And so, so I learned, you know, from yeah. him. Yeah. And that's fun. I mean, that's kind of the, also the art of the radio writer is that you have to write in such a way that you set up the other elements of the, of the radio and you use sound and you use music, you know, and, and I guess what, once you get that in your head, it must make it, does it make it more fun to write when you kind of know what Tim's going to be able oh, to yeah, do? Oh, yeah. I mean, so much of the time or most of the time, I don't know. I, I send notes, but, mm -hmm. but, but not on... Um, you know, just he's he's free to come up with mm -hmm. you know with, with what whatever he wants to as far as yeah. but he'll say does this work what do you mm -hmm. think of this this sort of thing and um, but rare, rarely do I ever direct him mm -hmm. and and he'll decide on what instruments he wants to use and you know which are sampled instruments and yeah. uh, after Morocco then later I love the idea of like going to different countries. Mm -hmm. and, Bali and the end of the Amazon, as we mentioned, and so on, and gathering sounds and then seeing what I had, and then writing a script, yeah, and, you know, to to use these sounds, and and because I love the, I love the idea that you don't really have to describe something that people are familiar enough from films, from who knows mm -hmm. what, to kind of know what's what yeah. the scene is without your having to necessarily to describe, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, that's one of the yeah. big joys of radio writing is that I don't, I don't, I'm not good at writing descriptive scenes. Like, some people can go and you know, right, have yeah. beautiful, lush right, description exactly. of physical objects to give yeah. you a picture in your head, whereas I'm not good at that. So to be able to, with a little brush stroke of a, a sound yeah. effect, to conjure, okay, now we're here, is just some of the, really some of the magic. Yeah, well, that's, and it's interesting the way people 
see things, everyone sees like characters and so on, so differently. Like mm -hmm. people constantly to this day say, oh, we want to see pictures of the actors. And I mm -hmm. said, no, because when I was a little kid, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, I'm just going to save you this trauma. <laughs> when I got traumatized, when I was a little kid and I used to listen to radio and I got to see the actors, I went, oh my God, not the no, people. no, yeah. no, no, they're horrible. You know, they're nothing yeah. like what I had in mind. Yeah. I'm not going to, no, not going to make anyone suffer like this. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Man. And it, it's true, and I would explain, I said, listen, these actors, they do all kinds of different, they, mm -hmm. you know, the, they're, they're doing all kinds of different things. Mm -hmm. and And so... So this is just one of the characters they're playing, and and they don't. Yeah, it's extremely rare that it would ever be anything like what you think they would. You know? Yeah, and, that, and that's and again, that's the magic of of radio is that <laughs> things that are not what they seem are what they sound or are yeah. Uh, so this this is again, I guess you know you, you talked about kind of the early era here in, in Montreal, but you also had your San Francisco days, and and I know they said that Eric Bowersfeld was a big influence on you. Um, he of course did some field recording shows. Was that did that did those have bearing on on you choosing to do? No, field I I didn't even know about his field recordings at the time. I I had heard his Black Mass, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he um, and you know, and I was just essentially blown away that mm -hmm. it would be around midnight on Saturday night, and he would do these H.P. Lovecraft adaptations and so on and so forth. Some brilliant stuff, which is uh, still out there. I, uh, but no, I his field recordings, I, I didn't know anything about until later. It's just that I always considered him a mentor because, mm -hmm. and he's such a wonderful person. He's so great. He's so uh, well read, and mm -hmm. and uh, and it seems like all not not literature, philosophy, you name it, and. Um, I'm certain science too. If you got into that part, so it's so so much fun to sit and talk to. Mm -hmm. Only essentially, let him talk. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and he's, uh, he's he has a wonderful voice and so finely tuned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so he so he just inspires you by his uh, and and I don't what is he in his late 80s I think something like that yeah, yeah I and mean still and, still sharp as ever yeah it amazed me like you know that, that, that I've interviewed him before to hear about what KPFA, oh you did interview yeah him. That, oh. you know, this was a couple of years ago but like to hear what KPFA was like at that time you had people like Randy Tom who are right. you know people are so familiar with this amazing film score work but that comes out of this radio experience and exactly. that you know they're doing yeah. all these radio dramas and that's a I think that's something that people should appreciate that you know radio stations or you know, you know communities around the radio you know led to these wonderful film artists you know meeting people that later inspired them and and you know and doing and doing film uh, film work um well pacifica radio of which kpfa was you know that's what we're talking about where yeah. eric worked but and they they also have wbai in new york kpfk in los angeles there's one in Dallas, I guess. I can't remember what, but I think they have maybe five stations. Anyway, they they were always you know kind of political leftists, but but very uh, arts, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and allowing for creativity. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people got their start 
at KPFA, and and I did too. I mean, they mm-hmm. said, "Oh, you got to learn how to uh, if you want to do radio, you got to learn how to edit." Mm-hmm. And they gave me a kids' show, and they said, "Take out every other word, you know, splice it together with." It. And so the first thing I took out was elephants, right? <laughs> and elephants was like you know about three inches long, <laughs> you know? and I held it up, and I was absolutely intrigued. I said, "Wow." Just think this tape has elephants, is what it is. But also, some the funniest thing happened. And I did this, and, and I felt this, like, uh, tingle, almost a static tingle of electricity pass mm. through me. It was like, I held it up, and I said, elephants, and it went, zing. <laughs> and it was like, I think an awful lot of my life is going to be spent doing this. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was like a vision of, of the future. Is what happened, and, and it was so funny, and, and of course it did. I, I, you know, I edited tape up two days ago. I still was editing tape, because you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. there was splices on something that kept popping off some old yeah. tape. I was trying to transfer into digital and, yeah. uh, and rewinding it. It was the splices go pop, and I have to stick them back on again. But um, yeah, and it, and it's and you and like what's still fun for you after. You know, at this at this stage in the game, you know, uh, you know, we can talk a lot about how distribution has changed, but in terms of story, you know, are do you feel like you know what do you feel like your stories have changed in character? Do you feel like you're, you know, what 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 sort of things are are you curious about? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I um, part of me saying I've done what I wanted to do, uh, and you know, and I'm not quite sure why I'm still doing this, except I don't know what else to do. Uh, and uh, and so it's st- it's still, like, once you've done something, you really don't want to do the same thing again. And because it's not like working for somebody where you have to keep cranking it out and mm-hmm. filling a space. And, right. you know, it's, it's uh, more random than that. And so um, it's it's interesting. The challenge is... I think more in format. Formats have always fascinated me. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Ruby, the the dailies. Yeah, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've always been. To me, it, it's I was more fascinated by form than content. Mm-hmm. I've always felt if I could find an intriguing form, that I'll always find content to pour into that yeah. form. You know, and and the the neat thing is when you're writing, and I used to tell people this. I said. Think of all the different possibilities that you could use this for. If it's a daily, okay, I can also put it together as half hours. Talking with radios, mm-hmm. you know, it's still half hours is a format yeah. used a lot. Uh, and I can, uh, I, I can also put it together as mm-hmm. you know, now CDs and uh, downloads. Mm-hmm. This sort of so think of all the different because once you've written it, it's very hard to break it up and say, oh, I think this would work. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, yeah. not, you're kind of stuck with it. So so that's why form has always always fascinated me. Uh but but now it's more um now it's it's more in terms of uh the new area of distribution. I don't really want to go into distribution because it's kind of a quagmire. But uh, of internet and yeah. uh, and what what may work there and I I but I don't. I don't have any of the answers on, yeah. in that in that area at all. But but that's kind of uh, in terms of of other things that are 
trying to do something different. I, I've kind of run out of, uh, now that you asked the question, yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of run out of the, 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 the pot. I've done these three dimensional with this Fritz, the, yeah. the binaural head that's, you know, sort of sound that's all around you, sort of. And, uh, and it's a great form, and it was fun writing and working with actors and this sort of thing. But uh, and and it, and it is a lot to do, it's, or it's a lot of fun to do. But it's also a bit more costly because uh, you know you have to trans. You don't do it in the studio. You mm-hmm. do it on location, and and this and that. And uh, and even though I, I really like the idea of location recording, I'm feeling um, old. In, in in that mm. I, I don't I don't want to keep driving myself and things doing things that are really difficult you mm-hmm. know that take a lot of energy and as you know do, doing location recording I mean the rewards are wonderful because you you get sound a realism that you can't get in the studio I don't think you know uh, and uh, but but it's a lot of work it really is yeah yeah and and. Uh... You know, it's interesting about form, and it feels like, you know, almost like with poetry, where that, like, there, there's like, you know, structured poetry and freeform poetry, mm-hmm. and you know, um, there's a lot of power in, you know, a, a structure. And with radio, like podcasting, kind of makes form not matter for for audio work, but I think at the same time, it still does. Like, I still think like the the discipline, like, you know, there's a reason that short installments still serialized still worked you know in the days of radio that still apply today even though technically you can have a four-hour podcast you can have a 55-minute mm-hmm. podcast you can have a 43-minute podcast right, it doesn't exactly, really matter exactly that, yeah um but at the same time i mean really your daily your daily you know drive time ruby is a podcast before podcasting existed yeah yeah, that, uh, yeah i guess that's right yeah um just that's people are listening to their car stereo and instead of searching the itunes store you did but you do have a lot of the steampunk stuff out of curiosity where what uh what's gotten the the steampunk you know you did windermere you did the jack well, flanders now it's, you know the, the, why why i got fascinated with steampunk uh, Somebody look it up, Google it if you don't know. I'm not going to even try to explain yeah. what it is. I think most fans here will. Know. Yeah. Okay. But was the absurdity of it? <laughs> I mean, it reminded me of um, um, Dada. Mm-hmm. I mean, it isn't. Mm-hmm. It isn't really. But it reminded me of Dada in the sense that it was so absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but I, I, when I say absurd, I, I don't mean in any you know stupid or mm-hmm. something like that. It's just that. Taking something that existed uh, back in the days of Jules Verne mm-hmm. and the Victorian age, and, yeah. and the top hats, and you know <clears throat> the carriages and the bustles and parasols and you you name it, and mm-hmm. and the various royalties and all this sort of thing, and to see that a whole uh, genre is is created, and there's <laughs> there are so many steampunk books out there now. Yeah. Besides short stories and and some movies, you know, uh, Hugo is considered mm-hmm. steampunk, and that's fairly, you know, you have clockwork, lots of gears and things like that mm-hmm. in, in steampunk. Uh, that that it was uh, it was worth exploring, and mm-hmm. and and uh, just I, I and also too 
Radio Real, which is an internet station, they uh, they they have a a steampunk channel. They have four different channels. They have a diesel punk channel, I think, mm-hmm. and a steampunk channel. And they had played uh, the Fourth Tower of Inverness. Oh, interesting! As on their steampunk channel yeah. at mm-hmm. one point, and 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 I thought. And of course, you know, you have Lady Lady Victorian, Lord and Lady Jowls, and you have this Victorian mansion, yeah. and uh, you know, and of course, I never thought of it back then as, as steampunk, and but I could see where that that's kind of a a natural that is, that is for for Jack Flanders returning to Inverness <laughs> and having this adventure, and of course, Zeppelins are yeah. fascinated me, and, and plus there was a German actor that I worked with in uh, Dreams of Rio, um, Jürgen, and Jürgen is um, so much fun to work with, and I decided he'd make a great Zeppelin captain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and again, this is where you have the you advantage know. of knowing actors yeah. who could make this a really right. great role. Yeah, So and, and, and there's certain people that, particularly because when we do recording up here, mm-hmm. you know, they, they spend the weekend with mm-hmm. us, and, and uh, and they're great fun. They're all like old friends, and mm-hmm. you know, love love having them. But uh, yeah, there's certain people that, certain actors that can do some characters, and, and mm-hmm. there's such a joy working with them. And also, too, a lot of the actors in New York, you know, where he's from, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they there's a group called Mabu Minds, and Mabu Minds did and does to this day. They've been around for a number of years. Experimental. Uh, they they do a lot of Beckett and mm-hmm. all all sorts of things, Inesco and you know and other original works and so on. Very you know, mm-hmm. and so they they were great people to work with because Mabu Minds, they're they're actors, which one of them is Ruth Malachek, which is one of the uh, Android sisters, and and they're this type of people that, that I would you know I'd write a script and then sometime by the time we got to it or whatever you know <clears throat> we'd be doing it and. And one of the actors would say, "Oh, why? I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. What's happening here?" And I'd look at it and say, "You know, I don't understand it either." <laughs> you know. Now, normally, normally, you tell an actor this, yeah, and as the um, director and writer, yeah, is saying, "I don't know what it is either," it kind of freaks out some people, right? Yeah. Meaning, it's like, "Whoa," you know. Because actors are often, you know, not very secure people. Yeah. But the Mabu Minds people, you know, they say, oh, okay, well, let's see, let's see. And we'll figure it out. Yeah. And they, because they knew the character, and they would figure it out. And I'd, and then I'd say, well, how do you think they would say it? And they, they'd tell me and say, okay, let's use that. <laughs> yeah, that's and they, great. they were great. They were so inventive. And, yeah. and Bill Raymond is somebody I work with, too. He does Taru and mm-hmm. does other people. And and he sometimes would just toss in things, yeah. and and some of the best lines I think I've ever written, he'll just toss it toss yeah. it in. And, uh, a, yeah, I guess that's the pleasure of working with actors who just get it and 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 you know love the medium and and get you know you've worked with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, you know, they're like old pros that have been around for a long time. Well, great. Well, Tom, thanks so much for taking the time. And uh, you know, there's such a huge catalog on your website zbs.org plus the new stuff you're coming up with and you know maybe people who are hearing ruby 5 here are going to go back and hear earlier rubies and then uh, hopefully stay around to listen to ruby 9 and uh just enjoy kind of the, the the whole history you know 1981 to 2012 is what a great run for for, for the characters so uh thanks so much for taking the time 
Thank you. Thank you for that, Fred. So we are running out of time today for this podcast. Uh, Like I said at the top of the show, I'm on vacation with my family, and Lake Michigan is calling my name. But before I go, let me just ask you once more to head on over to Wondery.com slash survey. It's a handful of questions, and it'll only take a few minutes, and it will help us a lot. So, thank you. And now, it's time for credits. But if you'll permit me, I'd like to hand the microphone over to my Uncle Arnie, who has a way better voice than I do. Thank you for listening to Radio Drama Revival. Our producer is Matthew Boudreaux, a deadly dangerous sleuth in his own right. He always keeps a laser knife in his boot and a space ace up his sleeve. The music you're hearing comes to us courtesy of DJ Stranger Danger of Oakland, California. You'll find more of his work on SoundCloud. Our researchers are Monique Boudreaux and Heather Cohn, who spend their days with fiber optic cables jacked into the backs of their skulls, forever learning and forever watching. Behind it all is Fred Greenhouge, the executive producer, the Kingpin. Clad in a suit made of spider silk and diamonds, the world is his executive suite. The stars themselves are for sale. He makes this whole thing go round. Your host was David Reinstrom. That's perfect. And then I need a sign-off from you because I wasn't sure how to end it. It's just a sign-off from, from me? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is David's favorite uncle, Arnie Sachs, saying, until next time. I, I, I should... I should I, And this is a real union actor signing off. Oh, Oh, shit. How much do I owe you? (laughs) Every time I hear this song, I get an ache, I can't shake, a pain I can't explain. It puts a strain on my brain, baby. This is Arnie saying, next time. Is that really how you find out? On one radio show. Or I feel like a blind man going for an open window. I can't feel no pain this morning. That was the 1970s, so it was a totally different, totally different thing. Um, Until next time, sweet dreams and pleasant thoughts. (laughs) I'm using all of those, by the way. (laughs) My favorite uncle, too? Yeah, well, maybe. He always keeps a laser knife in his boot and a space ace, space, and a space ace. What the hell is a space ace? What the hell is a space ace? Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.